Can't Wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Check out all the shows on the network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. It's December 16th, 2022, and that means there's nine days left until Christmas. Today on the show, we'll find out how the same thing could happen to the same guy twice as we discuss Die Hard 2. We'll also count down the top five misheard Christmas song lyrics, and I'll share a Christmassy twist on an old favorite snack. Okay, let's start the show. Welcome, Yule Believers, to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast, the show all about Christmas history, Christmas traditions, Christmas media, and everything else Christmas. I'm Tim Babb, and I'm delighted you've let me sneak into your ears during this special time of year, especially when your ears could be listening to Kelly Clarkson's Underneath the Tree, which I'm sure you're going to do right after this episode is over, right? Right? Okay, great. Before we get going, I'd like to send a special shout-out of thanks to everyone who came out to my first show back at Rooster Teeth Feathers Comedy Club a few days ago. The club looks great, and it was a joy to be able to be the first person to perform there again since they reopened. And if you missed it, don't worry, I'll be back again someday. And by someday, I mean December 30th and New Year's Eve. So, if you're in range of Sunnyvale, California around that time, I'd love to make you laugh in person, as opposed to on a podcast. Links to the tickets are in the show notes of this episode. But that's enough with the shameless self-promotion. Let's get to our first segment. We need a little Christmas now. We need a little Christmas now. This is a fun Christmas snack idea that you can do pretty easily at home. Christmas tree s'mores. Now, don't worry. You don't have to go outside and roast marshmallows in the snow. You can make these in your microwave. You just get some graham crackers, marshmallows, and those Reese's trees that pop up this time of year. Put one half of the graham cracker on the microwave-safe plate. Put a tree or two on the graham cracker. Put a marshmallow or two on top of the tree and then nuke it for 20 to 30 seconds, basically until the marshmallow gets all big and puffy. Take it out, smash the other half of that graham cracker on top, and fa-la-la-la-la, you've got yourself a great snack, and you'll get some more out of your holiday. Arr, the puns. Sorry, imaginary listener, sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. I couldn't quite hear you there. And speaking of not quite hearing things, let's move on to our countdown feature, Five Golden Things. Five Golden Things. Christmas music. This time of year, it's everywhere, and it's so fun to sing along, right? But not so fast. Before you belt out those lyrics, are you sure you know what those lyrics actually are? A lot of times, you think you know. You're 100% confident when you're singing along in your car, but then you sing in front of someone else and they stop you like, wait, 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 what did you just say? Do you really think the lyrics are, deck the halls with bras of holly? So, in the interest of sparing you that embarrassment in the future, I present the top five favorite misheard Christmas lyrics, starting with... Number five. Twelve Days of Christmas. Four Calling Birds. 
Now, there's a good chance you're wondering, what's wrong with Four Calling Birds? That's because this misheard lyric happens so often, it's pretty much become part of the song now. But the actual line in the original song is for collie birds. The term collie bird usually refers to a blackbird, but it's also kind of a catch-all term for all small songbirds. And so that's what the lyric should be. So there's a good chance you've probably misheard this lyric your whole life. Number four. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list of chicken and rice. I'll admit, this one is not one I've personally misheard, but I've stumbled across it on the internet and it made me laugh. I don't know why anyone would think Santa needs a list of chicken and rice, but the idea of it tickles me. Now, just in case you are the person who I found on the internet who heard this wrong, the actual line is, he's making a list, he's checking it twice. I'm sure Santa can have all the chicken and rice he wants after he finishes his rounds. Number three. Winter Wonderland. Later on, we'll perspire as we dream by the fire. This one I am definitely guilty of. I mean, it makes sense. If you're close enough to a fire, it's going to be hot and you might sweat. But the actual line is, later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire. Who knew? Number two. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Olive the Other Reindeer. This misheard lyric is so pervasive, it got its own book, which got turned into an animated TV special starring Drew Barrymore. Not bad for a lyric that is never in the song. But there is no reindeer named Olive. It's not Olive, the other reindeer. It's all of the other reindeer. Honorable mentions! Good King Wenceslas. Good King Wences last looked out. So this is totally me. I didn't even bother looking this one up on the internet to see if anybody else had the same thing. But I might have even done this on the podcast in the early days. I thought the dude's name was King Wences, and he last looked out on the Feast of Stephen. I can't remember why I eventually looked. And like, oh, his name is Good King Wenceslas. So it's Good King Wenceslas Lookout. Like, that's just his whole name. He's just, he's got, he's got too many syllables. You got too many syllables in your name, man. Number one. Maka. Melikalikimaka is a wise way. Now, this one, I feel like I'm not alone. I know I've seen social media posts where people are shook that it's not a wise way, but actually Hawaii's way. I mean, obviously it makes more sense, being that it's a song about celebrating Christmas in Hawaii, but I thought the song was saying that it was a wise thing to do. And having spent last year's Christmas vacation in Hawaii, I can confirm spending Christmas in Hawaii is a wise thing to do. But, according to the song lyrics, it's Hawaii's way. And that's all the misheard... And that's my list of misheard lyrics. Do you have any that you'd like to share? Let me know at christmas at tancast.com. And now a word from one of the other podcasts in the Christmas Podcast Network. Christmas is about traditions. Throughout the holidays, friends and family gather together to share love, laughter, and a bounty of Christmas foods. We all love tracing our family traditions back through the generations to find out where they began. But have you ever wondered about the food found on your holiday tables year after year? Join me, Glenn Warren, as the host of Seasons Eatings and travel the world as we explore the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. New episodes are released every month. You can find Seasons Eatings at seasonseatingspodcast.com and wherever you download your favorite podcast. 
So join me, Glenn Warren, for your next serving of Seasons Eatings. Welcome back. I recently saw the new movie Violent Night, the one where Santa helps a little girl whose family is caught in a hostage situation on Christmas Eve. I enjoyed it, but it's definitely a crazy violent movie that is not for kids at all. But it did get me thinking about Christmas action movies. So today, I'd like to talk about that classic movie where Bruce Willis has to fight terrorists to save his wife on Christmas Eve. Wait, wait, wait. You already did an episode about Die Hard. I know, but this... But nothing. You not only did an episode on it, you spent a full year having the listeners debate if it was a Christmas movie. Then you had them vote, and somehow they decided it was a Christmas movie. Yes, I I remember all of this. And why are you doing yet another episode on this movie? I'm not. But you just said you were going to talk about the movie where Bruce Willis has to fight terrorists to save his wife on Christmas Eve. That's Die Hard. True, but that's also an accurate description of Die Hard 2. So that's the movie we'll be talking about today, as we once again ask our favorite question... Is it a Christmas movie? It covers 1,000 acres in our nation's capital. Excuse me, which way is the bus to D.C.? It handles flights from 84 different countries. It takes 10,000 employees to run it. It has its own police force to protect it. Each holiday season, 11,000 planes take off. This is Dulles Control Tower. Go ahead. And 11,000 planes land. I've got 230 people flying on petrol fuel. But tonight, on Christmas Eve... The tracking system's down. Oh, God, no. We need to land now. It will all Switch come... Switch the backup systems. ILS landing system is down. Someone shut us down. ...to a complete They've stop. They've taken over the airport. is the only chance anyone's got. How can the same thing happen to the same guy twice? Bruce Willis, Die Hard 2. So, before I do a quick plot synopsis, I thought I should address a question you might be asking yourself. Why you're not referring to the movie by its correct title? That's exactly right. Yeah, everyone knows it's called Die Harder. Here's the thing. No, it isn't. What? The movie's name is Die Hard 2. That's it. The Die Harder thing was just a tagline. Like aliens in space, no one can hear you scream. Or Superman the movies, you will believe a man can fly. Or Avatar the Way of Waters, here's more of the blue people whose names you can't remember. If that movie becomes a huge hit in between the time you record this and the time you post it, you're going to look so ridiculous. I'm wearing a light-up Christmas sweater. I already look ridiculous. Can't argue with that. But the point is, Die Harder was never the movie's name or even its subtitle. It's just a tagline. So now that that's all cleared up, let's quickly run through the plot. John McClane is in an airport in Washington, D.C. to pick up his wife so they can travel to her parents' house for Christmas. Unfortunately, terrorists take control of the airport and make it so none of the planes can land. It turns out that a warlord prisoner is being flown into that same airport and the terrorists want to set him free. So McClane has to fight both the terrorists that are putting his wife's plane in danger and the airport police who don't want his help in order to get control of the airport back and get his wife's plane down safely in time for Christmas. This wants... Like a regular, normal Christmas eggnog, Christmas tree, little turkey, but no! I left out a few twists and turns, but that's basically the story. But almost as harrowing as the struggles McLean goes through in the movie is the story of the Herculean task of making this movie. So first off, this wasn't originally a Die Hard sequel. This movie is based on a book, 
58 minutes. The book is not at all related to the first Die Hard film. It's not even related to the book that the first Die Hard film was based off of. The two books are by two completely different authors. They just basically took a wholly unrelated story and said, let's put our characters in there. And once you get the script ready, you need a director. The director of the first Die Hard, John McTiernan, was offered the chance to come back and direct the sequel, but he turned it down because the production was going to conflict with another movie he was directing, The Hunt for Red October. That's right, old friend. Stay away from our director. Uh-oh, do we have a new imaginary listener on our hands? Certainly not. You would sound ridiculous every time I said the word Christmas. Fair enough. So, they decided they needed a new director, and oddly enough, they found one because the producers were fans of the film Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. So, they sought out the director of that film, Rennie Harland, while he was in the middle of directing the Andrew Dice Clay uh, comedy, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. They watched the dailies from Ford Fairlane, and somehow that convinced them that Rennie was their guy. So, he basically went from shooting Ford Fairlane straight to shooting Die Hard 2, and was even doing post-production on both films at the same time. The two movies ended up coming out a week apart, and they're both... Equally good. Or not. I have no idea because like most Earthlings, I've never seen The Adventures of Ford Fairlane and I have no plans to change that at any point in the future. But I do wonder how Rennie was able to work on two movies at once, but McTiernan wasn't. Sounds like you're slacking, McTiernan. Rennie made it happen. So, Die Hard 2 starts production and pretty much right away runs into a problem. The major plot point of the movie is that there is a huge blizzard at this airport that McLean is at, but they were shooting in an unusually warm winter. In the director commentary, Rennie talks about showing up to a production location in Washington State, and it was covered in snow. When they woke up the next morning, it had all melted. They had to truck snow in from Canada, make snow with giant shredding machines that turned blocks of ice into snow, and a local high school sent their kids out with snow blankets to cover a huge area to make it look like snow had fallen. Plus, they were chasing snow around the country. They ended up filming in multiple states just to get all the shots they needed. There's one sequence towards the middle of the movie where McLean pops out of a manhole on the runway to try and flag down a plane. The scene was filmed in eight different locations across three different states, but takes up less than three minutes of screen time. Another problem that I read about when looking into the production of Die Hard 2 was that they kept going over budget. Most of the things I read seemed to put the blame on producer Joel Silver, but no one seems to make the connection with the flying an entire film crew around the country chasing snow. Seems like that might impact the budget, but, you know, what do I know? Fortunately, they did get some good talent at reasonable prices by casting them before they were famous. For the pilot of one of the planes that, spoiler alert, crashes, they had Colomini, who would later go on to play Miles O'Brien in Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. One of the terrorists was Robert Patrick in his first major film role. He would famously go on to play the T-1000 in Terminator 2, as well as Agent Gallo on the TV series Scorpion. Another one of the terrorists is John Leguizamo in an early role before he broke out. But actually, his part was initially bigger. But he says, when the director saw he was only 5'7", they gave his lines to other terrorists. In fact, he only has one line in the finished film, and that line is dubbed over by someone else. It's not even Leguizamo's voice in the movie. Also... 5'7 is a perfectly acceptable height for a man to be. Some of the most handsome comedians turned Christmas podcasts are 5'7. Dude, now is not the time. Right. Sorry. Moving on. So, a lot of people really love this movie, with the specific exception of one particular demographic. Actual air traffic controllers. To say that this movie is unrealistic is to say that it's a little chilly outside Santa's workshop. Here's just some of the reasons the events of this movie could never happen. The entire premise of the movie is that these planes are stuck circling the airport because the tower won't respond. But planes would go to another airport after like 20 minutes. There are several to choose from in that area. If they have enough fuel to circle around the airport for 90 minutes, they have enough fuel to get to an airport that's only 15 to 20 minutes away. Also, a high-value political prisoner would not be flown into a commercial airport. They have military airports they could use for this kind of thing. And they certainly wouldn't do it on Christmas Eve, one of the busiest travel days of the year. 
And as I spoiled earlier, one of the planes crashes. This was something that the director had to fight for, by the way. The studio wanted it to be an empty cargo plane, but the director insisted that it had to be a passenger plane, so he really felt how dangerous these terrorists were. The studio agreed, but they made sure there was a backup footage of a UPS plane crashing if the test audience didn't like it. Anyway, back to why the crash would never happen. The terrorists have taken over the communications from the tower, right? So they reset their instruments to make it seem like the ground is lower than it is. The problem is, they only have control of the tower's instruments. The plane has its own set of gauges of where the ground would be and would use those to land safely. And here comes another big spoiler. At the end of the movie, McLean opens up the fuel dump on the wing of a 747 as it's speeding down the runway about to take off. He then lights the stream of jet fuel left behind and it blows up the plane. Don't worry, there's only several problems with this. First, jet fuel burns at a higher temperature than gasoline. It wouldn't light with just a weak flame from a Zippo lighter, especially if that jet fuel has been sitting in the snow. Even if it did, the fire wouldn't travel faster up the stream of jet fuel than a 747 going at full speed down a runway. And this one's not plane related, but early on, McLean gets fingerprints off of one of the bad guys and faxes them to his pal from the first movie, Sergeant Powell. The fax machines they used back then had such poor image quality, they would have been completely useless to get fingerprint information. He'd basically get a fingerprint-shaped smear. Now, despite all these inaccuracies, Die Hard 2 was a huge success. It did better than the first Die Hard. In fact, it's still the highest grossing movie in the entire Die Hard franchise. This is also the only Die Hard movie where any of the actors from the first Die Hard movie appear, besides Bruce Willis. Bonnie Bedelia is back as Holly, William Atherton is back as the reporter from the first movie, and as previously mentioned, Reginald Val Johnson is back in one brief cameo as Officer Powell. Die Hard 2 also holds the distinction of being the most violent Die Hard movie, with a body count in the triple digits. In fact, they had to tone down the violence a bit because the movie initially received an NC-17 rating. Another thing they had to tone down was the language. There was a lot of swearing in the movie, but it was actually worse originally. One of the actors, Fred Thompson, who also served several years in the United States Senate, pointed out the excess swearing and got them to pull it back a bit. And he wasn't even pointing it out because of, like, moral reasons, like, he was just saying it sounds ridiculous at some point when every other word is a swear word, like you stop taking it seriously. So the director agreed. They pulled out some of the swear words. And despite that, there's still plenty of cursing in the movie. So I can only imagine how bad it originally was. And speaking of swearing, they had to take all of that out when this movie was played for regular broadcast television. If you have the time or desire, you can search YouTube for the horrible edits this movie went through when it was shown on TV. They hired voice actors to dub over the naughty words. But if you're wondering if the voices sounded like the original actors, Actors, don't worry, they absolutely did not. The most famous of these clips is where McLean says his famous catchphrase, which I won't repeat here, but for the television version, he says, Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. Now, if you're thinking, I forgot to mention a character in this movie named Mr. Falcon, I did not. It makes no sense. There is no Mr. Falcon. Who knows what these people are doing? But it's a fun meme now that we can all enjoy. But the real reason we're gathered here today to talk about Die Hard 2 is to answer the question of whether this is a Christmas movie. Tell me you're not going to do a year of debates again. Oh, no, no, no. It's too late for that. It's already December. Besides, Die Hard 2 is way more cut and dried than the first one. The entire point of the movie is a husband trying to get to his wife so they can spend Christmas together. Something gets in the way of that, and our hero needs to solve that problem to save his own personal Christmas and, incidentally, the Christmases of several other strangers. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, without a doubt, a Christmas movie. So shall it be written. Merry Christmas, Mr. Falcon. Hey, McLean! You get this parking ticket in front of my airport? Yeah. Yeah, what the hell? It's Christmas! Oh, the weather outside. They go, Mom! But the fire is so delightful. 
And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. And that's our show. Wait, wait, you didn't do Merry Christmas. That's true, but I wanted to give people a little more time to send in their recasting suggestions for It's a Wonderful Life. It hasn't been that long since our last episode, so I want to make sure it was fair and everybody had a chance. So if you hadn't sent in your ideas for how to recast It's a Wonderful Life, you still have time to send them in to Christmas at Tancast.com. Which leads me to my next announcement. There will be a bonus episode next week, the Friday before Christmas. We'll do the Merry Christmas, throw in a bonus five golden things, and just have some general pre-Christmas merriment. So I hope you'll come back and join us for that. Don't forget to check the show notes for links to my stand-up shows at Rooster Teeth Feathers Comedy Club on December 30th and New Year's Eve. And until next time, you believers, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2022. Oh. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com, we'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, Can't Wait for Christmas pod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas-themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Christmas Pod. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band, and this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Christian Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and they are used for purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas! It's December 16th, 2022, and that means there's nine days left until Christmas. Why is my voice coming in and out? Stop it! Stop it, voice! Just do the normal thing! We'll do crazy stuff later in the show! Just talk like a normal human! <laughs> it's December... Tw- <sighs> Stumbling out of the gate, everybody. Stumbling out of the gate. It's going to be a rough recording session. Take it out. Smash the other half of the graham crapper. Graham crapper. (laughs) Oh, my lips. Oh. I have a work meeting in three minutes. Guess I'm down. I'm going to have to pause this for a second. Well, I'll at least get out of this segment. <clears throat> the term collie bird actually refers to usually a blackbird, but it's really any small songbird. It's kind of a, a catch-all term for small collie. Just read what you wrote. Don't go to Don't go off script, Tim. Just read what you wrote.
Even if it did, the fire wouldn't travel down the stream of jet fuel down the runway faster than a 747. Ah! <laughs> I've written this complexly, and I am not saying it properly, and I am frustrated. Hello, it's Tim. Just talking to you today from the Christmas cave where Tim is slowly losing his mind trying to read one's ends. All right, back to it. In fact, they had to tone down the violence a bit because the movie initially received... In fact, they had to tone down the violence a bit because it... Mo- <laughs> which leads me to my next announcement. Which leads me to my next announcement. Ah! <laughs> announcement! <laughs>